Acts chapter 4, this is something we've been looking at together now for, I think this is week number 8. And we're just going to stay with it till the Lord has us unhook and, and start looking at something else. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, the Bible says, The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now say this last statement with me. And great grace was upon them all. One more time. And great grace was upon them all, was up on them all. There was something on these people. In the beginning days of this church, this church that you and I are a part of now, we're not a separate church. We're not a different church. We are a part of this church. This was just the first campus. We're, we're just one of the other campuses on the other side of the world of this church. And something was on these people. Like we've talked about for weeks now, when you see these people and how they were born again and how they were filled with the Holy Spirit, how they spoke with other tongues, how they preached and prayed and prophesied, how the church grew by thousands at a time, how there were miracles of healing and signs and wonders popping all over the place, the favor that they had with other people. How you see in these verses that there was so much, there was, there was something so significant on these people that they, they just lived like other kind of people where they said nothing that they had was their own and they shared everything they had. And when they saw a need, they were quick to meet the need. And the Bible says that what was on these people was grace and not just great or not just grace, but what kind of grace? Great grace, mega grace, huge grace on this place. And the more we talk about this, the more stirred up and excited I get about it because I'm expecting this. I'm expecting to see this same kind of grace on this place. And when you and I get connected and get planted in this place, then that same grace that's on this place is on you, on your family and on your house too. And I believe there's coming a time soon and very soon where we're going to just look at what all God's doing in your life. And I'm talking about your life, your family, your house, your health, your finances, everything you set your hand to do. And we're just going to have to step back and go, man, you got some great grace on you. You got mega grace on you. Great grace was on them all. Now go with me to the book of second Corinthians chapter nine, that same grace that was on them is on us. And just like second Peter chapter three says to grow in that grace, you and I are growing in it and we're going to keep growing in it and growing it and growing it and growing it until we come to the place that great grace is on us. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight we normally look at these verses, six, seven, eight, and nine, and then through the rest of this chapter, in reference to our offerings, and they're certainly about that, but I want to just pull one statement out here and draw your attention to it for a moment. Second Corinthians chapter nine in verse eight. It says, And God is able to make what? All grace abound toward you. God is able to make all grace. Now that right there should tell you that, that 
grace is manifold. It's many manifold. You, when you said grace, you're talking about a lot of things. Not just one thing, but a lot of things. And that's what we've been doing over the last seven weeks is, number one, identifying what grace is, and number two, finding out how to get more of it, right? Because when you find out what grace is, that is your next response. Okay, that's awesome. How do I get me some of that? And how do I get more? And then you find out from James chapter four, verse six, that God gives more grace. Your next statement should be, okay, well, if you're just giving it, God, I want it. How do I get more of it? Grace upon grace upon grace. How do we keep growing in this grace? Now, this verse says that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. And we have seen over the last several weeks the different ways that grace shows up in our lives. We've talked about grace being the gift of God. That's what Ephesians says, that the grace of God is the gift of God. And that's how you identify grace. Whatever comes to you or to me as a gift from God through Jesus to you, that makes it grace. You didn't earn it. You couldn't earn it. It wasn't payment for some work you did. It was a gift. And your salvation was and is that gift. It's the grace of God. You didn't earn your salvation. You didn't work for it. You were not so impressive that God came to you and said, wow, you're amazing. I owe you some salvation. No, God didn't owe you anything. He gave you everything. And he gave it to you through Jesus. That's what makes it grace. The gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has given to the church. This is his grace. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. You didn't clock in and out. And after a certain amount of time, God paid you by giving you the Holy Spirit? No, he was and is a gift. And we've talked about how the grace of God is favor. Somebody say favor. But it's not just favor with God. It overflows into favor with other people. And I'm interested in that. As a matter of fact, church, I'm going to ask you to do something. We've talked a little bit about it, but we, in the last week or so, we're finally able to get some communication going with the Department of Transportation regarding our roads out here, our parking lot. I won't get into all the details of the meeting, but I'm asking you to agree with us for some favor. Can we do that together? Favor with God and favor with men, favor with people. Can we do that just here right now together? Would you agree with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you. And we ask you concerning our, our road improvement and our project out here, we ask you, Lord, for favor, for great grace to be on us and everyone we need to work with to get this job done. Lord, you know that we're being met with a little bit of resistance, but that doesn't move us, that doesn't shake us because we know it doesn't move you. So we ask you for favor. We ask you for great grace on us and for things to go our way, <laughs> things to move in our direction. And Lord, we're expecting it. We will see it. We will have it. And we'll give you all the glory for it in Jesus name.
Now, folks, every time that comes to you, if, it, if you're driving past the church, is there anybody that drives 24 kind of on a daily or weekly basis? Every time you drive past, just thank the Lord for a favor. Would you do that for me? Favor, 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 favor. We believe for it and we will have it. But we saw things in scripture that, that, that unlock favor. Remember we talked about how kindness, an uncommon kindness will unlock favor with God and favor with men. We talked about how faithfulness will unlock favor with God and with men. And when you realize that, man, without the favor of God and without favor from other people, I'm stuck doing this thing on my own. I want that. I want favor. I want grace. God, if you're just giving it away, I want some. How do I get more of it? To the point where mega grace, great grace is on us. Great favor is on us. We talked about how the grace of God is the help of his Holy Spirit. I want some help. I'm not so prideful. Are you? To say that I don't need help. I can do this all by myself. That's a childish mentality. That's, that's the way children think. That's the way children talk. I can do it all by myself. I don't need help. I don't want help. I can do it by myself. I can do it by myself. You know, when kids do stuff by themselves, it's cute, but it usually ends up making a mess, doesn't it? Because they did it on their own. Well, the same thing happens when you and I try to do it on our own, except it's not cute. Oh, it still makes a mess, but it's no longer cute. Humility. The Bible says it's the humble that get the grace. Lord, I'm asking for your help. I need your help. I'm yielding to your help. I don't know what to do on my own. I can't figure it out on my own, but I am not on my own. You've given me your Holy Spirit. You've graced me with all the help I need, and I receive it in Jesus' name. Man, could it be that simple? It really is. That's how we grow in this grace. So his grace is his favor. His grace is his help. And then last week we talked about the grace, the word of his grace that has the power to build us up. Glory to God. I'm still kind of high from that one. The power to build up. The word of his grace has power to build you up. So when your tank is empty and, and you're running on fumes, and you lack strength and you lack ability, you need to run to the word of God because in his word is the power to build you up. Thank you, Lord. Now, the reason I go back over all that is because we just read this verse where he said he's able to make all that stuff, all that favor, all that help, all that strength, all that power. God's able to make all that grace come running you down, abounding towards you. And this is what you look like when all grace is abounding towards you. You ready? This is what life looks like. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. That is the prosperous life. This is a very good biblical definition of what it means to prosper. That you would always have all sufficiency in all things and that you would have to give an abundance to give to every good work. And that's the result of grace abounding towards you. Now the question I want to ask you in the, in the few minutes that we have this morning 
is what is it that makes God able to do that? We've already touched on it a little bit in service today, but, but let's go over it again. There's going to have to be some rewiring, perhaps, in the way that you think about God. Because you and I read scriptures like this, God is able we think about the strength to do something, the might to do something, right? Well, God, God is God, so of course he's able to do that. But what you need to realize is there's a difference between what God can do and what God can do for you. Did you hear me? There is a difference between what God can do, what he's able to do, and what he's able to do for you. See, this is a big part that traditional religious thinking has totally left out. God's God. He can do whatever he wants. Well, God is God and he can do. He does have the ability to do big and wonderful and even impossible things. But there's a difference between what he's able to do and what he's able to do for you. When Jesus showed up in his own hometown, Mark chapter six. And he stood up and he read just what we read earlier today. The spirit of the Lord's on me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And everything he said there out of the book of Isaiah. The Bible says that, that they, they looked at him and they thought, where does he get this? They questioned among themselves, where does he get this? And they started talking about the fact that he's from here. Isn't this the carpenter's kid? Right? He's from here. Your mother's over here and your sisters and your brothers. What is that? It's family. It's familiar. Familiarity. And the Bible says they were offended at him. Why? Because it's family. This is Jesus up there preaching. And they're going, anointed? You? You're not anointed? We know you. How could you be anointed? We know you. It's a stupid way of thinking, isn't it? But we know you. We know your family. You're from here. Man, you grew up. You made this table for me when you was a kid. Come fix this wobbly thing. Get down from there anointed. Give me a break. And the Bible says they were offended at him. And Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown among his own relatives. But then it made this statement and it said, and there he could do no mighty work. Didn't say he wouldn't. Now, again, you go back to this traditional way you think about God and, you know, it's like, well, fine. If you're going to treat me that way, I'm not healing you. <laughs> See how you like that? Fine. But it didn't say he wouldn't. Did it? Again, this, this religious mindset about God has taught us to believe we know God is able. We just don't know if he's willing when really it's the opposite. What you have to know and what you've got to be so sure of is this, God is willing. He is willing to save. He is willing to heal. He is willing to deliver. He wants to, he wants to. The question you have to ask is, is he able? Not does he have the strength, of course we know he does. Is he able to do it for me? Now, you and I both know this, that Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. He carried around in him, in bodily form, the willingness of God to heal. 
And in every town before that day and in every town after that day where miracles are popping left and right, you see not just the willingness of God to heal, but the strength and the ability to raise up and to set free and to deliver until you get to this place. And it says there he could not do it. Couldn't. He wanted to. And it wasn't as though he lacked the strength. It wasn't like God got weak all of a sudden. But can you see there was a difference between what he's able to do and what he was able to do for them? God moves through open doors. God moves, like we've already said today, through places where he's been given access to move. So when the Bible says God is able to make all grace abound towards you, the next question should be, okay, is, I know he's got the strength to do it. Is he able to do it for me? Because if the place he desires for me to live in is the place where I am always having all sufficiency and abundance to give to every good work, if you're honest with yourself, you go, why am I not there? Many of us would have to be honest and say, I'm not there. Well, if he's able to do it, I must not be there because he's not willing or he's got a different will for me. Can you see how subtle this stuff is? What do you have to know? First of all, God is willing. He's willing. He wants to. But what you have to find out is, is he able to do it for me? Is there an open door in my life for all grace to abound towards me? And I want to show you this in the scriptures. So go with me to the book of Matthew chapter six. In Matthew chapter six, we have a prayer that Jesus is praying and we've called it the Lord's prayer, which is kind of a funny name for it because he's saying, when you pray, pray like this. So really this is our prayer. He said in verse nine of Matthew chapter six, in this manner, therefore, pray our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now, why would Jesus tell us to pray something that may or may not be the will of God to do? That's just silly thinking, isn't it? He's leading us. He's literally giving us the words to pray. Put his words in your mouth because this is what he wants to do. There is daily. I said daily. Somebody say daily. What's that mean? Every single day there is provision available for us. Our daily bread for desires, for needs to be met every single day, every single day. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Now, verse 12, look at what's connected to that. And forgive. So first he talked about giving, which immediately you and I are now thinking grace because that's what grace is. It is the gift, right? So this daily provision, this daily increase is the grace of God coming towards us. But look what it's connected to. Give and forgive. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Now, other accounts use the word sin or trespasses. And it's the, it's the same 
concept. It's the same thing, but this word here Jesus used is debt. You owe something to somebody else. He's saying, we're asking you to forgive us our debt. The debt that we owe you, I'm asking you to forgive it. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors or the people who owe us something. Then he said, do not lead us into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But verse 14 says, for, now we're going to go back to that forgiveness thing. For if you forgive men their trespasses, their sins against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But verse 15, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. I don't think we've made a big enough deal out of what Jesus just said. Forgiveness. It's one of the biggest things you and I could talk about. Forgiveness is that first taste of the grace of God that you got when you made Jesus your Lord. When you humbled yourself repented of your sin, believed in your heart, God raised him from the dead, confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, then the blood of the Lord Jesus, which cries out mercy for you, began right then and there washing away, not covering sin, washing it completely away and making you and making me the righteousness of God in Christ. And if he had not forgiven us our debts, our sins, we would have no way to be right in his sight. There'd be no way to pray to him. There'd be no way to come to him. There'd be no way to receive from him. This is grace. Forgiveness is grace and it is big time grace. And like I said, it's the first taste of grace that you or I or anybody ever got. The moment we made Jesus Lord of our lives, we got this grace washing over us that forgave us our debt. But Jesus said, if you don't forgive the people that owe you something, your father won't forgive you. Is that because he doesn't want to forgive you? Is that because he's not strong enough to forgive you? No, what Jesus is saying is that something is stopping the grace. See, forgiveness is this constant flow of grace to us. But Jesus is helping you and I identify right here and now what will open the door to that grace, what will make him able to do it, or what will shut the door to it and keep him and keep that flow of grace coming to us. The only thing that can stop grace from coming to you is when you stop grace from going through you. That's the only thing that can stop it. It's not because God doesn't want grace to abound towards you. It's not because all of a sudden he's gone weak and lacks the ability. The question is, is he able to do it for you? And the only thing that can stop it the only thing that can stop grace abounding to you is when you stop grace from abounding through you. 
What Jesus is saying here is when you forgive others, that's grace flowing through you. That's grace flowing through you. That's a grace abounding through you. But he used the word debt to talk about sin. When Sarah and I got married and she moved to Texas, we never even lived in the same state until we came home from our honeymoon. <laughs> but when, she, when we came home, she moved into this little house I'd been renting for a couple of years and, and we moved into it together. And, and a few months after we got married, we decided we were going to buy this house. So we had, I mean, a baby down payment. <laughs> we got it together and we, we put a little bit of money down on this little house. It was a great little house, perfect for starting a family. And we lived in that for a couple of years together till justice came along. And then we were in the house for another three years with him. And uh, towards the end of our time in that house, the Lord brought it up on our heart. I want you to pay this place off. Now, this was not a big, fancy, expensive house, but what we owed on it I look back on it now and it doesn't look like a lot, but it was a lot to us then. It was a good six figures, you know, and man, it just looked like everything. But the Lord said, I want you to pay it off. And so we started in January of that year and, and we were going to get aggressive about paying it off. We had a little bit of money set aside, so we started throwing all this money at it. And in about six months, through that time, money had just been coming in miraculously from unexpected channels and, and all of it. We just started putting it on that house. And in about six months, we had knocked down 50% of that balance. Now, that was well beyond our paycheck. That was way beyond anything we could do on our own. Somebody help me out. What is that? That's grace. I don't even know if I recognize it as well at that time as I do right now, but that is grace abounding towards us. But right about, I don't know, June or July of that year, it just seemed like the brakes got slammed on all that extra income that was coming. And it just sort of stopped. And we were stuck still with 50% left to go, which still looked like a huge amount of money to us. And I kept going before the Lord. I'm like, Lord, what's, what's happening? How am I going to do this? How are we going to do it? I started to get under pressure about it. And towards the end of that summer, I finally, in prayer, went before the Lord and said, I'm not bringing this up again. If you want to talk about it, fine, we can talk about it. But I'm not talking about it anymore. And it was at that time the Lord brought something up in our heart. And probably close to a year maybe before that, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, Sarah and I had been around a young guy who was getting ready to do something with his life. And we wanted to kind of invest in it. We had never loaned money to anybody before, but we, we asked him, we said, would you let us loan the money to you to do this thing you're wanting to do? And he prayed about it and he said, well, okay, yeah, sure. And we did, we loaned about $5,000 to him. And, um, you know, it was after that that the Lord said, pay this house off. And then all those months later, when the money's not coming in, I'm thinking, man, sure could use that 5k. <laughs> And you know what the Lord said, do release the debt, release the debt, forgive it. I said, okay. So we called him up. We said, listen, you don't owe us that money. We're letting you have it. You don't need to pay us another thing. And of course he was blessed and we got excited about it, but that was right at the end of that summer, right in September of sometime, early September. The first week of October, 
the next month, we got in a check, totally unexpected, one check paid off the rest of that house. What is that? That's grace abounding to us. Now, what enabled it? Because like I said, the brakes had got slammed. We, we weren't making progress anymore. It seemed like all grace was abounding in some other direction except ours. What opened the door for more of that grace to abound towards us? Grace abounding through us. Grace abounding towards somebody else. So can God, is he able to get big chunks to you at a time? Is God able to pay off big debt all in one fell swoop? Yeah, he's able. But the next question is what? Is he able to do it for me? It's not a matter of his strength. It's not even a matter of his will. We know he wants to, but is the door open to all grace abounding towards me? Forgiveness is grace. His forgiveness towards you is grace abounding towards you. And the only thing that can stop it is your refusal to forgive. Is this what Jesus just said? If you don't forgive, my father won't forgive you. Now he talked about this later in the book of Matthew chapter 18. Go there with me real quick. In Matthew 18... Verse 21, oh, Peter, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Evidently something was up. Somebody somewhere has been sinning against Peter and it could have been brother as in family, brother as in uh, somebody else of, of the tribe there. I don't know who it was, but evidently Peter's going through something with somebody here. And he says, how often is this going to happen where I still have to forgive him? And I'm sure he thought he was saying something big here when he said up to seven times. Like surely no more than that. And the implication is here in a day where somebody does something or the same thing to you over and over and over again. And Peter's saying, I'm willing to go, you know, six, maybe seven times and forgive him. But Jesus, help me out here. Surely that's enough, right? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. In other words, quit counting, Peter. Stop trying to put a number to it. He said in verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I want you just to put yourself in the group there that day while Jesus is preaching this story. And when he said this guy owed this king 10,000 talents, I guarantee you people in the crowd are laughing. We don't really get it because it's not a measurement of, of money that we use so much anymore. But this is literally an astronomical amount of money. And it's hard to put a finger on exactly how much it is. Some Bible translations try to say around 10 million, but it depends on what it was a talent of. This is roughly 375 tons of either silver or gold, 10,000 talents. Jesus basically said, this guy owed this other guy like a kajillion dollars. 
It's some made-up amount, right, that is so beyond your ability to rationalize and even comprehend. So when he said, this dude owes this guy over here 10,000 pounds, everybody was probably like, oh my God, whatever. You know, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. There's no way you can pay that. He said he owed him 10,000 talents. But, verse 25, as he was not able to pay... His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Somebody say, yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, right. This servant in multiple lifetimes There's no way he could come up with enough to pay this guy all. 10,000 talents? It's fun if you want to do a little study on it sometime. One one thing I read said it was roughly 60 million denarii, which equates to about 60 million days wages. This guy could work for 60 million days before paying this off. Be patient with me. Just give me 60 million days. And not to mention the interest, you know. This can be yours with 60 million easy payments. Just give me 60 million more days. Be patient with me and I will pay you all. Yeah, right. But his master, in verse 27, the master of that servant was moved with compassion. Now listen to what he did. He released him and forgave him the debt. That's not what this guy asked for. This guy asked for time. But his master, when he saw him down on the ground, (laughs) trying to come up with this persuasive argument, I promise I can pay you all. His master knows, brother, there is no way. There is no way you could pay me. And this compassion rises up in him. He didn't give him more time. Now that would have been nice, right? He was well within his his just limitations to take this guy, sell him, sell his wife, sell his kids, sell everything he had till that debt was paid. But he didn't do that. He would have been well within his limits to extend the debt, but he didn't do that. This guy asked for time. What he got was grace. Give me more time and I'll pay it. And compassion rises up in the master. Compassion rises up in the king and says, you couldn't pay it. You couldn't pay it in 60 million days. So instead of giving you more time, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you mercy. I'm going to forgive the whole thing. He didn't even ask for that. But compassion Compassion rose up and forgave the whole debt. But, verse 28, that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's roughly a hundred days wages. Some translations say 20 bucks. Other translations say a few thousand dollars. But here's the point. It's nothing compared to what he owed. He found somebody who owed him a hundred denarii, laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. 
And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me. I'll pay you all. He said word for word verbatim what he had just said to his master. Give me time. But in verse 30, it says he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? How many of you know that a 10,000 talent debt, a 10 million, a hundred million dollar debt being wiped off the books, gone. What is that? That's grace. Holy Lord, that is grace. That's grace and great grace. That's grace chasing you down. That's all grace abounding towards you. Because, because it's saying, you don't have the ability. You don't have the strength. You don't have the resource. You need mine and I'll give it to you. Totally forgave it. That's all grace abounding towards you. And he said to him, should you not, verse 33, also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. That guy, not only did he shut the door towards more grace coming towards him, he lost what grace had been given. Now that's serious enough. If the parable stopped right there, that would be enough to shake you in your boots, or it should. But it didn't stop there. Jesus went on and said, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother. What will God do to you? Well, what did this guy do to his servant? Turned him over. That guy lost all his grace, shut the door to more grace coming to him. And Jesus said he turned him over to the torturers. And what did Jesus say? My father's going to do the same thing. If you don't forgive. Come on, help me out. What's the only thing that can stop grace coming to you? Is when you stop grace flowing through you. Unforgiveness. If you and I really ever got a glimpse of what that nasty stuff is and what that nasty stuff does, you would not tolerate it in your life for a second, if not for your own sake. Holding on to unforgiveness is being turned over to a torturer. And it's not torturing the person who owes you. It's torturing you. It's torturing you. And it has shut the door to any more grace abounding to you. Man, I don't want any of that stuff in my life. I want all grace abounding towards me. I want all grace so that I always have all sufficiency in all things and an abundance to give to every good work. What is it that opens the door and makes him not only able to do it, but able to do it for me? Grace flowing through me.
grace flowing through me, constantly forgiving, constantly releasing, constantly letting debt go. You don't owe me. You don't owe me. You don't owe me. And you think, well, man, you don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. You don't know how wrong they treated me. You don't know how, how badly they mistreated me and what they said about me and lied and cheated. Listen to me. No matter what anybody's done to you, that debt is like a $20 debt compared to the hundreds and hundreds of cajillions that we owed him. And if he was able to release that and say, you don't owe me anymore. If he was able to do that, you and I are able to let go of these little things that somebody owes us. You owe me an apology. Really? An apology? You are going to shut the door to all grace abounding towards you because that guy hadn't said sorry. You see how we thought about this? This is, what's the word for it? Stupid. <laughs> Why would we think that way? And I, man, I'm challenging you, church, before you get out of the building, before you get home today, find somebody who owes you something and let it go. Let it go. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about you and your finances. That's between you and the Lord. I told you what we did, and I told you the way it opened the door to great grace in our life. See the connection there between giving and forgiving? Grace, what is it? It is the gift of God. His forgiveness is the gift. Forgive. I love this word because of the picture that it paints. You got two people and everything's good between them, then one, one of them does something wrong, says something bad, and really hurts the other one. And you've got that moment in their relationship. And it just seems like everything changed since then. And this person over here, their, their heart is hurt, and they're carrying around that pain. Now, the word for give, for, F-O-R, if you study it, it can literally mean before. What is forgiveness. It's the giving of the gift. It's the person who is owed something and they're saying, I'm going to give you a gift. And the gift I'm giving you, forgive me, I don't know another way to say it. It's time travel. I'm going to take us back in time before this thing ever happened. For give. That's the gift I'm giving you. I'm going to go back to a time before you said what you did. I'm going to go back to a time before you did the thing you did. And I'm going to restore us to that time. Now that's supernatural. That's only supernatural. Because I don't know of anyone or anything else that has really developed this whole time travel thing yet. But through the power of forgiveness, we can go back to that. And is it worth it? You bet it is. Because it opens the door to grace, grace, and more grace. Now, go ahead, guys. Where we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where it says God is able to make all grace abound towards you. I'll read this to you and we'll be done. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where Paul wrote to them. And he said in verse 1, 
Brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of, of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. These are poor people who received a big offering. And he said, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability. See, that's what grace enables you to do. Give beyond your own ability. They were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that he, as he had began, excuse me, begun, so he would also complete this grace in you also. Listen to verse seven. As you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Writing to a church who's got big faith, writing to a church, got a lot of knowledge of the things of God and they're abounding in speech and they're abounding in love. But he said, Hey, I want you abounding in this grace. What grace? Talking to him about this other church. They're giving, they're giving. And these are the people who he said, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. What enabled God to make grace abound towards them? Grace abounding through them. He said, abound in this grace, be givers, givers and forgivers, be giving and forgiving. And that's what the love of God is. It is those two things above all else. The love of God gives and the love of God forgives. And as long as that grace is coming through you, always giving, always forgiving, always giving, always forgiving, then that flow of grace to you, grace through you, which enables more grace to you, which enables more grace through you, which strengthens more grace to you and strengthens more grace through you. It will remain unending every day of your life. And there will be a daily bread coming your way. Why? Because you, you are giving what you've been given. You are forgiving because you've been forgiven. And God said, I'm taking you back in time. I'm going back through the power of the blood of Jesus to a time where there was no sin between me and you. I'm taking you back to a time where there was nothing between us but my love for you and your faith in me. That's forgiveness. And it's powerful. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.